take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. We have, over the last few weeks, observed this personification of foolishness or of evil in the temptress or the adulteress that entices all who will listen toward unrighteousness or ungodliness. Personification of evil is featured in the book of Proverbs as this adulteress calls us to make decisions that always result in catastrophe. And now entering into chapter 8, we're beginning to see in full what we saw in part in chapter 6 and 7, namely the personification of wisdom, the personification of all that is good, all that is right, as a figure that I'll refer to as Lady Wisdom. And here in Proverbs 8, Lady Wisdom, contrary to the work of the seductress of the previous chapters, is inviting and welcoming and wooing all mankind that we would go the way of what is good, of what is noble, of what is right. She calls out in the streets. She invites all to receive her, to know her, and to benefit from her insight and understanding. So we have, in chapters 6 through 9, two competing voices. You have the temptress or the adulteress who entices toward death and destruction and catastrophe. Now in chapters 8 and following, we have Lady Wisdom, the personification of the wisdom of God, who is welcoming and inviting warmly all who will hear to go the way of God's wisdom, to do what is right, and to do so results in positive outcomes, life and the favor of God, and real happiness, happiness with depth, and even happiness in that superficial way that brings a smile to the face and a pep to the step. Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to read the entirety of this chapter, 36 verses, and we may even allude from time to time to the content of chapter 9. If you found your way there, join me in standing as we read the Word of God together. Proverbs 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says here, doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the entry to the city, at the main entrance, she cries out, People, I call out to you. My cry is to mankind. Learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced. Develop common sense, you who are foolish. Listen, for I speak of noble things, and what my lips say is right. For my mouth tells the truth, and wickedness is detestable to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. None of them are deceptive or perverse. All of them are clear to the perceptive and right to those who discover knowledge. Accept my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can compare with it. I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. I possess good advice and competence. I have understanding and strength. It is by me that kings reign and rulers enact just law. 
By me, princes lead, as the nobles and all righteous judges. I love those who love me, and those who search for me find me. With me are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than solid gold, and my harvest than pure silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, giving wealth as an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord made me at the beginning of His creation before His works of long ago. I was formed before ancient times, from the beginning, before the earth began. I was born when there were no watery depths and no springs filled with water. I was delivered before the mountains and hills were established, before He made the land, the fields, or the first soil on the earth. I was there when He established the heavens, when He laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when He placed the skies above, when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when He set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate His command, when He laid out the foundations of the earth. I was a skilled craftsman beside Him. I was His delight every day, always rejoicing before Him. I was rejoicing in His inhabited world, delighting in the human race. And now, my sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Anyone who listens to me is happy, watching at my doors every day, waiting by the doorpost of my doorway. For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But the one who misses me harms himself. All who hate me love death. May the Lord bless and honor the reading and the preaching of His Word. You may be seated. Do you see this broad invitation of wisdom in verse 1? Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? She is pictured here as crying out in the street, pleading, imploring, practically begging that all would hear and heed Listen to the counsel of wisdom. Do what is right. There's an air of frustration about these initial verses. You ever had someone in your life who was doing foolish things? And you knew they were doing foolish things? And you loved them and you cared for them so much that you wanted to see them do what was right? Not just because it was morally appropriate to do the right thing, but by virtue of neglecting to do what was morally appropriate, they were harming themselves. They were self-destructing before your eyes. Here, wisdom pleads. Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the entry to the city, at the main entrance, she cries out, People, I call out to you. My cry is to mankind. Learn to be shrewd. You who are inexperienced, develop common sense. You who are foolish. Packaged together with this invitation is a couple of notes that indicate for us that this is not an exclusive invite, but that all are invited. All of mankind, Solomon describes, being invited here to know and to indulge themselves in the insight and understanding of Lady Wisdom. Come and hear. And there's no IQ test, no ACT or SAT score required in order to be admitted to this access to wisdom. This is made clear in verse 5. Learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced, 
develop common sense, you who are foolish. There's no test to get in, right? Even those who lack shrewdness, the inexperienced, the unlearned, those who are outright described as foolish are invited to know and to benefit from the wisdom of God. You'll think back across your life's experience, especially if you've any age whatsoever, you'll likely note some among those who have made the greatest impact, who have held the greatest influence in your life, are those who were perhaps the least trained, educated according to the standards of this world. In all likelihood, you can think of influential voices who may have had a very low educational level, but they somehow managed to possess this wisdom, this insight that not only enabled them to navigate the choices of life and the various things that come up, but to do so in a manner that was worthy of God, that was honorable to the Lord and produced good outcomes and great fruitfulness in their own experience. No one is here excluded from this clarion call of wisdom. She is crying out in the street, pleading that we might heed her voice and submit to her counsel, that we might know the fruitfulness that wisdom so often produces. We've been repeating Sunday by Sunday this major theme of Proverbs. Proverbs is given to us in order to help us be successful in life without compromising our integrity along the way. It provides for us some parameters within which we're able to make good decisions, God-honoring decisions, decisions which honor the Lord. We are in pursuit of success. Everyone wants some degree of fruitfulness in their life, but we oughtn't compromise our integrity or the standard of righteousness in our efforts to enjoy some degree of fruitfulness. This is the topic addressed in verses 6 through 13. The basic concept that the wisdom described in the book of Proverbs, in fact, the wisdom described in all of the Bible, is a wisdom that is morally right. Let's unpack that for just a moment before going to the text. I have delighted in, in our Proverbs series, lambasting what has become known as the prosperity gospel. The idea that if you will simply do what is right and believe certain things, I won't say what is right, but certain things, then you will be healthy and you will be wealthy for all of your days. That is not the teaching of the book of Proverbs. Rather, it is representative of an age-old misrepresentation of the Bible. The book of Deuteronomy describes God binding himself to the people of God in a covenant. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he gives what are described as the stipulations of the covenant. He, in effect, says, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. You might be surprised to know how central those stipulations are to the teaching of the Old Testament. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Now, the problem with mankind for all of our history has been our ability to take a good thing and to foul it up in some way. And so rather than reading that basic principle the right way, men and women began to read it backwards. 
And they begin to look across the landscape of humanity and identify those who seem to enjoy blessedness or fruitfulness to amass some degree of fortune or fame. And they would assess them as being favored by God. There must be some aspect of their life wherein they are obedient. Otherwise, they would not be enjoying these positive outcomes. If you obey, you will be blessed is a true and biblical principle. But that is a fundamentally different thing from saying that if a person is by outward appearance blessed, they have been obedient. In fact, the book of Job stands central in the Old Testament as a monument to the correction of that misrepresentation of the teaching of the Bible. And we are exposed to the same kind of misrepresentation, not just with regards to the prosperity gospel, but in everyday life. You're in a worship service sitting under preaching for 30 or 40 minutes a week. The rest of your week you spend being bombarded by the wisdom and counsel of this world, enticing and inviting you that if you will only go the way of her wisdom, everything will be grand for you. If you will do what the flesh leads you to do, if you will surrender yourself to the wisdom of this world, it will yield for you positive outcomes. And the fruitfulness that you see in celebrity, in the pleasure that seems to be involved in the wisdom of this world, the treasures that are often amassed following after the wisdom of this world can carry a certain allure. You may be enticed to believe that the wisdom of this world is superior to the wisdom of God. These verses stand to correct that delusion that going the way of this world will ultimately lead in catastrophe. Real fruitfulness. Fruitfulness from the perspective of heaven, but also the kind of fruitfulness that's regarded as success from the perspective of this world is found in implementing the wisdom of our God. Verse 6, listen, for I speak of noble things, and what my lips say is right. In other words, this is wisdom which is morally right. For my mouth tells the truth, and wickedness is detestable to my lips. You may practice deceit, you may lie, because the wisdom of this world says that to do so will help you move forward, and you may, for a season, enjoy some degree of prosperity as a result of your deception, but it simply will not last. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. None of them are deceptive or perverse. You may speak according to the wicked vernacular of this world in order to move forward, to prosper in some kind of way, to find a niche or to fit in, and that may temporarily benefit you, but it is a prosperity that simply will not last. Verse 9, all of them, all of my words, are clear to the perceptive and right to those who discover knowledge. You may engage in this phenomenon of word salad in order to cover for your deceptions, in order to cover, cover for the perversity of your heart, and that may create for you some degree of prosperity. But it is a prosperity that will not last. Wise words are spoken with clarity to the perceptive, and they are right to those who discover knowledge. Accept my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable 
can compare with it. What is being said here, in effect, is that wisdom often results in prosperity. But this is a far cry from saying that all that is prosperous is wise. And you've got to guard yourself against that delusion. One writer has noted that Proverbs is concerned to point out that what is right and what pays may travel long distances together. But it leaves us in no doubt which road we are to travel when their paths diverge. As the people of God, we do what is right regardless of what outcome it might produce for us. But that does not negate the strong encouragement often offered in Proverbs that doing what is right often results in a high degree of fruitfulness or prosperity, as Proverbs describes it. We don't have to be timid or reluctant at pointing out this principle. Verse 12, I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. The wisdom of God is morally right. The wisdom of this world is morally bankrupt, and it never delivers on what it promises to deliver. If you are listening keenly to the news cycle and you are observant with regards to the culture, you can see various ways that this reveals itself. I was listening in recent days to conversations with regards to the LGBT movement, specifically the trans movement, and the incessant cultural drum that's being beaten, that if you will simply succumb to whatever your natural impulses are, that you will in that find pleasure and joy and satisfaction. You can be your true self. And in the next verse... They will decry the incredibly high suicide rates among the LGBT community, neglecting to connect the two dots, that the wisdom of this world and their expressed counsel can never produce for them what they promise to produce or deliver. But if you will, in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God neglect the unrighteous impulse of the flesh, and walk according to the precepts of God's Word, it is there you'll find satisfaction and joy and peace and fulfillment and pleasure. Not in spite of, but because of God's Word. Wisdom is morally right. There's a third thing here in verses 14 through 21 where Solomon speaks of the various ways that wisdom rewards her adherence. If you walk in this wisdom, there are certain benefits that follow thereafter. Verse 14, I possess good advice and confidence. I have understanding and strength. It is by me that kings reign and rulers enact just law. By me, princes lead as the nobles and all righteous judges. I love those who love me and those who search for me find me. With me are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than solid gold, and my harvest than pure silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, giving wealth as an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. 
this is a wisdom that's beneficial to those who subject themselves or surrender themselves to her insight and understanding. In short, by wisdom, kings reign. By wisdom, rulers enact just law. By wisdom, princes, nobles, and all righteous make their judgment. By wisdom, wealth and righteousness are attained. This is the proverbial assurance of our passage. One again, we ought to be shamed of. This is the kind of wisdom that empowers and enables leaders to lead at a high level. This is the kind of wisdom, when implemented, that allows that justice might be served within a society. This is the kind of wisdom that creates moral uprightness, even within a society's cultural fabric. I don't say this to be political. This is an objective observation. It is no coincidence that at a time of ebbing spiritual devotion, we are witnessing across the landscape the most inept and incompetent leadership that we have known in the history of our great civilization. Being dumb and far from God typically run together. We're observing this on a fairly consistent basis in our society. Now, verses 22 through 31 may seem obscure and somewhat disconnected to the surrounding context. But this is actually quite central to the point being made in Proverbs 8 and 9. The point here is that wisdom is morally right and it benefits the people of God because it originates with God. In other words, we don't have in Proverbs the collective wisdom of Solomon's lived experience. We don't have the collective wisdom in the Bible of the lived experience of apostles and prophets and kings. We have in the Bible a wisdom that originates from the heart and the mind of God. Back in verses 1 through 5 of Proverbs 8, there is this idea that that wisdom is influencing things at the street level. Where the rubber meets the road, for the believer, every decision that we make in every aspect of our life is influenced by the power of the gospel that has seized our heart. The wisdom of God has something to say, not just about those spiritual parts of our life, but about every part of our All of our life is under the power and the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just these component parts we reserve for Sunday morning church. At the street level, where the rubber meets the road, the wisdom of God has bearing. But that, again, is not to say this is a worldly wisdom. We might say of all of Proverbs chapter 8 that the wisdom of God's Word emanates from heaven, from the heart and mind of God, all the way down to the street level where the rubber meets the road. Verse 22, The Lord made me at the beginning of His creation before His works of long ago. I was formed before ancient times, from the beginning, before the earth began. I was born when there were no watery depths and no springs filled with water. I was delivered before the mountains and hills were established, before He made the land, the fields, or the first soil on earth. I was there when He established the heavens, when He laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when He placed the skies above, 
when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the human race. Wisdom, Solomon describes here, wisdom personified is a wisdom that comes forth from the very heart of God. And you need to hear that, that the wisdom of the Word is the wisdom of God. And it's superior to the wisdom of this world. When you are enticed to submit yourself to the insight of the world, remember that the wisdom of God's Word is superior. You got an issue in your married life. You can submit yourself to the wisdom of Dr. Phil that will likely result in catastrophe. Or you can submit yourself to the wisdom of God's Word and it produces fruitful outcomes. You got issues in your financial life. You can submit yourself to the authority of 30 second TikTok videos. Or you can submit yourself to the wisdom of God's Word with regards to your financial life, and it will result in positive outcomes. The wisdom of the Word, the wisdom of our God, by far exceeds the wisdom of this world. It is timeless. It is not a fad. It is not passing. What you'll find is that especially in recent days, the wisdom of this world changes about every five minutes. But in God, there is no change, no variation, no shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The stabilizing force that is the foundation of our life. One of the most endearing traits of God is His steadfast faithfulness, His stability and constance in my life. I learned at a very young age that even the people who love me the most have the ability had the ability to betray. And I learned as a young man that even the people I love the most, because of the sinfulness of my heart, I'll betray. But there is a good and faithful Father in heaven whose mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Wisdom described here is the wisdom of God, therefore superior to any other expression of wisdom we might draw from. Sort of a conclusion to chapter 8 and verses 32 through 36, where the benefits of this wisdom is again outlined. Verse 32, the Bible says, And now, my sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Anyone who listens to me is happy, watching at my doors every day, waiting by the post of my doorway. For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But the one who misses me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Now just note what Solomon has described as the potential outcome for this kind of wisdom. Verse 32, those who keep my ways are happy. Verse 34, anyone who listens to me is happy. Verse 35, the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, we talk about the difficulties of following Jesus, and sometimes 
we talk about the difficulties of following Jesus obsessively. We can go on and on and on and drone and drone and drone about the challenges of walking with Jesus. But I can tell you something more difficult than walking with Jesus. It is to walk without Jesus. And it might behoove us at times to give our focus to the innumerable benefits of walking with Jesus. How walking in the wisdom of God benefits us in every area of our life. The result, as it's described in Proverbs 8, is happiness. There's no unhelpful distinction being made between that superficial kind of happiness and this depth of joy. We say that as though it's a meaningful distinction to the world around us. I'm not sure the world is interested in the kind of joy, joy, joy down in our heart that doesn't result in at least some impact on our faith. What the world is craving and longing for and grasping for in these earnest ways is an abiding happiness, a gladness of heart that puts a smile on the face and a pep in the step. And I realize that that is, to a certain extent, superficial. And it may not be perpetual, perpetual rather, but it is something that we ought to strive for, oughtn't we? And here the Bible says, walking in the wisdom of God stands to result in happiness in what seems to be that superficial kind of way. I would add, by implication, it's born out of the kind of depth of joy that we often intend when we talk about the joy of the Lord, but that ought to have some superficial effect on our life. Now, in responding to that age-old misunderstanding of the Bible that we addressed earlier, whether it's the prosperity gospel in our day, or the idea that if you were blessed, you were obedient 2,000 years ago, we have overreacted in my estimation. And we come up with our own proverbs. We say things like this. We say things like, God is more concerned with your holiness than He is with your happiness. Now listen, that has been said by heroes and icons of the faith that I have tremendous regard for, and it comes from a place of just concern. That there'd be pushback and correction against the idea that if you just believe the right things and do the right things, everything will be great for you. Or the idea that God just wants you to do whatever you want to do, follow the impulses of the flesh without concern for what is righteousness. But such a statement establishes a false dichotomy. It divorces our personal holiness from our personal happiness. What Solomon is saying, the sum total of Proverbs chapter 8, and what I want you to hear is that you cannot reasonably divorce your personal holiness from your personal happiness. Do you know when your superficial happiness will be at its highest? When there's a smile on the face and there's a pep in the step and there's all of these organic things firing off within the body that say this is going to be the best day. You find those moments walking in the wisdom of God and they're not fleeting. They're not produced by pills. Like you can make that happen with the right concoction. But I'm talking about something that's born out of the Spirit. I'm talking about something that persists a joy and even superficial happiness in the Lord 
that is all-pervasive, regardless of the circumstances of our life, because Jesus is enough for us and walking in the wisdom of His Word. We're experiencing positive outcomes, disrupted at times by the hardships and difficulties of walking with Jesus, but no less experiencing the positive outcomes that inevitably result from walking in the wisdom of God. What I'm saying, if I could just be very straightforward here, is if you really want to be happy, then walk with Jesus. I'm a happy person. Things typically go well for me. That is not to say I don't have bad days. It's not to say that there aren't difficulties and hardships along the way. It can be hard walking with Jesus. But it's not nearly as hard walking with Jesus as it is walking without Him. And I have found over the course of my Christian life that when laboring to do what God has called me to do, even when it's hard to do what Jesus says to do, usually results in some pretty outstanding outcomes. That is the point of Proverbs 8. And on some level, that is the point of all of the book of Proverbs. God is not calling us to this kind of puritanical, joyless existence that looks like a monk in a cave, but to live with joy and delight in our heart, not in spite of, but because of what He has instructed us to do by His divine wisdom. Now I want to show you one more thing, and I'll wrap up. The language of verses 22 through 31 where we're told that this wisdom comes from God, is taken up in the New Testament to speak of Jesus. In fact, and perhaps the best example of this, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have preeminence in all things. For God was pleased to have all His fullness, and His wisdom is no exception. God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell within the body and the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God came to dwell in Jesus. Now, the connections that exist between Proverbs 8 and Colossians 1, 15 through 20 may be difficult to perceive in your English translations. But there is a relative consensus among biblical scholars that those two passages are working one through the other. In other words, just as Lady Wisdom is the personification of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8, Jesus is the personification of wisdom in Colossians chapter 1. Now, if that is right, and I believe it is, let us reconsider the verses 1 through 5, the introductory verses to our passage, with that notion in mind. Doesn't Jesus call out? Doesn't Jesus make His voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, He takes His stand 
Beside the gates at the entry to the city, at the main entrance, Jesus calls out, People, I call out to you. My cry is to mankind. Come to Jesus. Isn't the invitation of wisdom within the framework of the new covenant the invitation of the Savior? To be endowed supernaturally by the abiding presence of God's Holy Spirit with the wisdom, discretion, shrewdness, experience and insight of the very God who has loved us and sent forth His Son that He might bleed and die to pay the penalty for our sin, raised again on the third day that we might know the gift of everlasting life. I would say to you again, know and walk with Jesus. Taste and see that He is good and find happiness, yes, with depth, but even in those superficial ways that put a smile on the face and pep in the step. It is a good thing to walk in the wisdom of our Lord. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word, for Your divine and eternal wisdom. Grant us us courage and boldness to walk in Your wisdom in the moments ahead. May Your Son Jesus be greatly honored we labor to do so. Empower us by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Awaken us by the work of your Holy Spirit. Sanctify your bride. Call those who are far from God near through the blood of the Lamb. We ask it in Jesus' name.